Where does the word Christian come from? Why did Naomi try to change her name? Is there a difference in a soul and a spirit? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. This is Luke Taylor, and you probably didn't know this, but we have a very special person hosting today's podcast, and that person is me. I'm a very special person. I'm a VIP, and I bet you didn't know that whenever you tuned in, but I'm actually a pretty special guy. And let me tell you why. I have been predestined to conform to Jesus. I have been called. I have been justified. I am being sanctified. Someday, I'm going to be glorified. I bet you had no idea whenever you tuned in today that you would be hearing from such a special person. Now, you might think I sound a little prideful saying all that, and and I'm meaning it somewhat jokingly, uh, you know, pretending to brag about it. but, But I hope what you also realize is that if you're a Christian... This is what the Bible says has happened to you. This is true about actually every single one of us who have been saved. And so I think that does make us pretty special people. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, those are true facts for every single person who is in Christ. And when I say in Christ, that means a Christian. And so my goal today is that we will all, with grateful hearts, agree with what the Bible says about ourselves. Have you ever noticed that whenever two people get married, their personalities kind of start to intertwine? They start to act more and more like each other. I remember this one kid uh, when I was a youth pastor. There was a kid in the youth group, and and he knew me before I had gotten married. And then he also knew me after, and he commented one time uh, that I was a different person after being married to my wife, Emily, for uh, for a few years. Uh, just within a couple years, I was picking up on a lot of her I guess what you might call idiosyncrasies, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, the the mannerisms or phrases that she would use. You know, I would start to use those same ones without realizing that I was copying her. And I'm sure she probably, you know, copied a lot of the things that I did, too. That's what happens whenever you get married to someone. Uh, Your identity becomes very much tied to that person. And, And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Because a marriage is, that's what it's supposed to be. It's a melding of two individuals, two personalities. When you're bonded to someone, it changes you. It has an effect on your personality, on your identity. And what I want for all of us is I want us to feel bonded to God and Jesus. Because this is how we get our identity. And I think there's so many uncertainties and confusions and dilemmas that we face in life because we don't understand our identity in Christ. There's so many issues we face that could just be cleared up really easily if we just knew and agreed with what the Bible said about us. And so that's what I would like to talk about today. I want to talk about, not that is a really big subject, I just want to talk about one piece of it, one piece of discovering that identity that we have. So let me start here with a question. We often use the word Christian to identify followers of Jesus. But do you know how many times the word Christian appears in the Bible? 
Now, just think about that for a second. How many times do you see the word Christian in the Bible? It, it is in there. Okay, the answer is not zero. The word Christian, is, is it is in the Bible. It's only in there three times. Three times the Bible uses the word Christian. And that's not a bad word. It's not a it's not a bad descriptor. Um, the word Christian, it actually means little Christ. And I like that. Uh, it, actually, the, I think the Romans, they originally gave it to, to us, to the Christians, the Romans, and they meant it mockingly. They meant it as a term of derision. They were using it as an insult to call them, to call Christians, to call them little Christs. Well, they meant it as a term of derision, but I wear it with pride. I think it's great to be known as a little Christ because, you know, you think about it, we're supposed to be Christ-like, okay? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Of course, none of us can be Jesus as good as Jesus could, so so we're little Christs, and, and that's what Christian means. So it's not a bad word. It's not a wrong word, uh, but it's actually, you know, biblically speaking, it's not a it's not a common word that is used to describe Christians in the Bible. There's a different word that the Bible uses, and it uses it more than 60 times to identify who we are. That word is saints. The word saints, it's it's used 60-something times in the Bible. Well, I mean, when I say the Bible, I'm actually, I mean the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, too. But when it's talking about Christians, and I only counted this once, so don't quote me on it, but I counted at least 62 times that it uses that word in the New Testament. And and sometimes it refers to angels, but at, at least 60 times, it's, it's used to refer to Christians. Okay? So, again, just to recap, Christian, three times. Saints, more than 60 times. Okay? I'll put it this way. Christian shows up in the Bible three times. Saints, 20 times as much as it says the word Christians. So, obviously, th- this word is much, much more common in the Bible that is used to describe us than the word Christian is. And, you know, you read it so much, you probably just, you don't really think about it. It's so it's so common in the New Testament to read this word, Romans 1-7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 2 Corinthians 1-1. To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. So, uh, or Achaia, I don't know if I said that right. But anyway, many of us think the word saints, when we hear that word saints, we think it just refers to the, like the super Christians, right? Like many times you might see a church or a hospital sometimes, it's going to have a name like St. Luke's, okay? And they get that name because they're naming it after Luke in the Bible, or they might be some other person who's a historical figure or a, a you know, like a Christian figure, um, a, a a biblical figure. You know, they they sometimes call them saints. And uh, in in Catholicism, if you're a really really famous Catholic, someone like Mother Teresa, they will give you sainthood, and they will they will call you a saint, and they will even pray to the saints who are up in heaven. They had they actually have some rules about how you get determined to be a saint. It's something like. If you've performed two documented miracles, you can. That's one of the the uh, criteria for being declared a saint in the Catholic Church. Um, 
so that that's kind of that's where that comes from. And you know, hey, if you want to call me Saint Luke, you know, that's fine. But don't but don't pray to me, okay? Because <laughs> that is not biblical. Uh, not a lot of that stuff is not biblical. Because according to the Bible, all true Christians are saints. As I said, we're called saints twenty times as much as we're called Christians. Now, why do I say all true Christians are saints? Well, I say that because if you ask most people, like especially in America, you ask them, are you a Christian? Well, they would respond with, of course I'm a Christian. Like, what else would I be? But if you ask them, are you a saint? I bet most of them would be like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I might be a Christian, but I'm certainly no saint. But guess what? Biblically speaking, if you aren't a saint, then you aren't a Christian. It's kind of like how um, some some people say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. Because they think if you're, you know, being born again, it means that you're like some kind of super Christian. <laughs> but all real Christians, all of us are born-again Christians. If you aren't born again, you're not saved. Because Jesus said to himself, you must be born again if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you're a true Christian... You are born again. And if you're a true Christian, you're now a saint. In fact, here's a little rhyme to help you remember it. You must be a saint or a Christian you ain't. All right. I I, I throw that in only because my wife, who has obviously influences me because I'm married to her. Okay. (laughs) So it impacts me. And she always says, if it rhymes, that means it must be true. So I I think she stole that from the Lego movie, but... But here's something I do know. If you take your main point and if you can make it into a rhyme, people have a tendency to remember it better. So there you go. (laughs) I worked really hard to make a rhyme for for this one. You must be a saint or a Christian you ain't. Now, what does it mean to be a saint? Or, Or actually, here's another way to phrase it. How does thinking of yourself or knowing that you're a saint, how does that change you? That's what I want to talk about next. I heard this story one time. There were these two mobster brothers. And they ran the neighborhood in Chicago. Now, this was like 20, 30, 40 years ago. This is a while back. But everyone everyone knew these brothers ran, ran the neighborhood in this part of town. Everyone knew they were dirty scoundrels. They were considered thieves, even killers. One of the brothers, his name was Johnny, he got himself killed. And they only knew of one pastor in this neighborhood. So the the, the surviving brother, he came to the pastor. He said, now, pastor, you's going to do Johnny's funeral. And I pay you well, but listen, during the service, I want you to call Gianni a saint. You do that, I pay you $10,000 to your church. What do you say? Well, the pastor said he would like to, but he just couldn't bring himself to lie. (laughs) Because everybody knew Gianni the mobster, he was no saint. But the brother said it again. He said, you call Gianni a saint. And I give you $10,000. You don't do it. You might want to double check that you have an insurance policy. So he he leaves it there. And, and the day of the funeral comes around. And everybody in the neighborhood attends. Not because they cared about Gianni, but they want to know, like word had got out. Is this pastor going to call that gangster a saint and, you know, collect a big payday for his church out of it? Or is he going to just tell the truth? And and risk the church's destruction. So the pastor got up to speak. This is what he said. He said Gianni was a gangster. He was a robber. 
He was a scoundrel. You wouldn't want to find yourself in a dark alley with this guy. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to put that laughter in there because that's that's how everybody laughs when I tell jokes and sermons. Just, you know, take my word for it. I didn't know if it had the same effect on a podcast, so we needed we needed the laugh track. That was just to help you. It wasn't for my benefit whatsoever. So anyway, I got a question for you. If I asked you, what is the most holy thing? What would you say? What is the most holy thing? Well, if, you're probably God, right? We might say God or Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? What is the most holy thing? Well, that that phrase, that's actually the definition of a saint. A saint is a most holy thing. That's the literal definition of the Greek word hagios. That's the word that's translated saint. It's a most holy thing. So I'm not saying you'd be wrong if you call God the most holy thing. But here's what I want you to consider. What does it mean that we are also called the most holy thing? Well, we are called that because we have been made like God. Because God is most holy. But when you are saved and turn your life over to Christ, something actually changes inside of you. Your spirit is made holy. And here's what I mean by that. Did you know that you have a spirit, soul, and body? You're not, you're not just a body, and I think we know that. But also, you're not even just a soul. There are three parts to every person. And and most Christians don't understand this. They, they think that we're just body and soul. And then so, you know, you die and your soul goes to heaven. Like, that's what most people think. But the Bible actually says there's a third part of every person. And that this third part is called the spirit. And I think I should probably do an episode all about this. Because uh, I learned about this like 10 or 12 years ago. And it really opened up so much of my understanding of the Bible. It is longer than that. It was like 15 years ago, but it like it really affected me. Like it made so much stuff in the Bible make more sense to me. So we'll do an episode on that sometime. Uh, but what is it in a, in a nutshell here? Um, the headline here. What does it mean to be a spirit, soul, and body? I'll say this. There's a part of you called your spirit. And whenever you got saved, your spirit was cleansed and your spirit was made pure. Your spirit was made holy. So you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. And if you say, well, where is he? He's in your spirit. It's the innermost part of you. It's your ongoing connection with God. Uh, Whenever whenever you're not saved, your spirit is dead to God. But when you get saved, then he makes your spirit 100% pure. It's a third of you, but it's that third of you is 100% holy. And that's that's your spirit and you have the Holy Spirit living there inside of you. It's, so it's the innermost part of you. It's your, and, th- and that is your ongoing connection with God. He can speak to you through your Holy Spirit connection. He can convict you whenever you do something wrong. You know how um, if you sin after you become a Christian, that y- your conscience, it can bring guilt upon you, right? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you to repent and be restored to relationship with the Lord. That's because there's a spirit inside of you. And that spirit is 100% holy, and, and it doesn't like it whenever you sin. You have a holy spirit living within you. You are a most holy thing. And that's the definition of the word saint. And so if you're a saint, that changes the way you act. 
In the past, you walked according to yourself, just what you wanted to do. But now, you walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God, which is inside of you, it's the same as the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's, that's Paul writing to the Galatians right there. So as I said, you have a pure spirit within you, and you have the impure flesh fighting against it. So you have a war going on inside yourself. But walk by the Spirit part of you, not the flesh part of you. Obey the Spirit, not the flesh. So what what is that like what is that I know that's easy to say what does that mean? Well, what you got to do is pay attention to yourself and learn to identify the impulses within you that are emanating from the spirit and then act on those impulses, not the fleshly ones. Learn learn what the spirit is saying to you and then do what the spirit says. And you and the more you do that, the more you'll recognize it whenever it's him trying to tell you something. Hebrews 12:14 Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's an intimidating verse right there because it's like, how could any of us be holy enough to see God? Well, here's how, because we've been made a most holy thing. And yet we're also told to strive for holiness, to, you know, to, to be like this spirit inside of us. Uh, here's another verse. You know, you if you read this before this podcast, I don't know if this would have made as much sense to you, but. Hopefully it makes better sense to you now. It's in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And here's another good verse. And again, once you hear it and you think about what it means to be a saint, what it means to have the spirit of God in you, I just feel like this verse takes on a, a little bit deeper meaning. Ephesians 5.3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. What What is this saying? It means, it means you're a saint, so act like it. <laughs> just act like it. That's what you are, so act that way. And if you take everything that I'm saying into account, this is why once you become a Christian— Many times, sin is not even enjoyable anymore. Well, that's because now you have the Holy Spirit within you, and and He doesn't like it whenever you sin. It, it makes you uncomfortable. It makes you feel, it makes you feel, I don't know, dirty inside whenever you sin. And so, things that maybe were once enjoyable for an, to be an unbeliever are no longer as much fun. <laughs> you know, the sin doesn't have the same fun to it that it did before because now the Holy Spirit's inside of you. He brings conviction. And that's true as long as you live on this earth. You're going to have a Holy Spirit within you that wants you to live pure. And as long as you live on this earth, you're going to have a flesh that wants to sin and wants to be selfish, wants to be carnal. And, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but that's a battle you're going to have to fight within yourself every single day. Every single day until you die or, or until the rapture happens. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. The, the war is always going to be there. But remember this, surrendering to the flesh will always cause you trouble. It's always going to cause you bad outcomes. But if instead you surrender to the spirit, that will always bring you peace and good outcomes. So if you want joy, if you want good outcomes, good consequences in your life, walk by the spirit. And th this idea of what it means to be a saint and have the spirit inside of you. Um, 
it doesn't just affect your present. It also affects your future. It affects your destiny. Zechariah 14.5, this is a chapter that talks about the second coming of Christ. It says, the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. See, if you're a saint, your destiny, um, as of right now, it's to go in the rapture or to go be with Jesus whenever you die. Someday he's going to come back, okay, after the tribulation, after all that stuff, he will come back. The Lord my God shall come and not alone, it says, and all the saints with thee. Ephesians 1.18 tells us, You may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We have a hope. It means there's a, there's a fact of our afterlife that we have an inheritance in heaven. That's what it means to say. It's not a hope like, oh, I hope my wife makes spaghetti tonight. It's a hope that is a fact of our destiny. Our hope is what we believe in. It's a truth about the reality that we're going to enter into whenever we leave this earth. And it's that we have an inheritance in heaven. It's an inheritance for the saints up in heaven. It's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. That's just so important for us to realize that, to put our hope in, in that, in that truth. Because whenever you truly know and believe that you have a destiny in heaven, that you have an inheritance waiting for you up there, that affects the way that you live today. So this is a big word. If you really think about it, this word saints, like what it means, what it means about your present, what it means about your future, what it means about your identity, then it really has an impact on how you think about your decisions. It will really affect your day-to-day life. If you make it your identity, that is. That sainthood is for each one of us, each one of us who are in Christ. It's not just for the super Christians. It's for all Christians, and it's for you, and it's for me. And whenever you accept that, it makes you second-guess some of those decisions that we make whenever we're dealing with temptation. You know, because suddenly now, now now you're saying, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to go to that place. I am a saint, and saints don't do that. It'll have a profound effect on your choices. Well, we're going to close down in a few minutes with a quick recap. Um, First, I'll just throw this in. Do you like fake news? Well, if not, then you definitely don't want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. That's a weekly show where we look at oh, the past few weeks of fake news. Um, I, I only update it once or twice a month now, but we just look at the recent fake news through kind of a meta narrative of how the media covered those stories. And so it's it's a lot of fun. It's more focused on current events. And so if you don't like fake news, then you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news, then come join the fun. I try to put the new episodes out on Friday. Sometimes they don't make it till Saturday or Sunday. But um, I just put one out last week. It's called Fahrenheit 1984 uh, because they're ta- they're changing the world doll books. Have you heard about that? Well, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about um, or if you're mad about that, too, you can go look up the latest episode of Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, and you'll find out why they're why they're changing classic books um, and why we should be upset about it. By the way, if you have a question on this chapter, you can leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com, 
And I'm always happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you'd like to see me tackle in the future. Next time on this podcast, we're going to be in one of my favorite chapters of, well, not just of the Bible, but my favorite chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And uh, as you know, if you look at my podcast or if you've been listening, I'm doing a study chapter by chapter, verse by verse on the book of Ezekiel. We're up to chapter 18, and that is my favorite chapter of the book. So make sure you go check that one out uh, and find out why it's my favorite chapter. All right, I'm going to do one or two quick mailbags. These are just going to be short ones. Um, I got a mailbag from somebody named Michael. Michael, uh, so he says, and this was in reference to episode 47, where I was talking with my friend Daniel Moore about reasons to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I was kind of saving <laughs> this mailbag comment for some time when it would be relevant to something else I was talking about. Um, here, so here's what Michael says. He says, you are misunderstanding the Bible. Read up on what the Catholic Church teaches. You can't go wrong. <laughs> so he's saying, if I just if I would just go look at what the Catholic Church teaches and believe that, I won't go wrong because they don't go wrong. And Michael, I just got to say, there are so many things that the Catholic Church gets wrong. I mean, just about any doctrine out there that's a Christian doctrine, they have a wrong take on it. Um, sometimes to a heretical degree, sometimes just a, <laughs> they're just a little bit off, but they just they get just about everything wrong. Um, like, for example, what we're talking about today, saints. Okay, all Christians are saints, but the Catholic Church, the, the reason Christians don't know that is because for a long, long time, hundreds, maybe, you know, over a thousand years, the Catholic Church was teaching that only special Christians are saints. And as I said before, they have like a criteria you have to meet that doesn't come from the Bible at all. It's just something that they made up for how you can achieve sainthood. And then they believe you can pray to saints and that they will intercede with uh, with God. They will intercede for you with God. Um, when the Bible just says we only pray to God directly, it never tells us to pray to anybody but God. But the Catholics teach that we pray to saints, that we pray to Mary, that we can pray to all kinds of people in history. So, and that's just one subject. <laughs> they get something wrong. <laughs> they get things wrong on just about everything out there. You know, I hate, it, I once did a, uh, I, I hate to say it, you know, if you're Catholic, you're listening. I'm not trying to hate on you. I'm trying, actually, I would just like you to reconsider where you get your information from, because I, I think we should get it from the Bible. Not from what any church, not from what any denomination teaches us. Um, but for some reason, the Catholics thinks that, th that they're the only ones who've got all this stuff completely correct. And yet you cannot prove most of their doctrines from the Bible. Um, I once did a series with my Sunday school class, and we, we called it What's Wrong With? And every day we would talk about what's wrong with a different group and how they, how they use the Bible. Um, we did what's wrong with Jehovah's Witnesses, what's wrong with Mormons, what's wrong with Muslims, and what's wrong with Catholics. And when I did Jehovah's Witnesses, I, as I studied, like what I did was I studied up on what Jehovah's Witnesses believe and where we disagree with them and where I feel like they go wrong. And when I did all that, I honestly just felt a lot of sympathy for them, like that they were so close to being right. Um, but they just get off. They believe some of the wrong people. When I did Mormonism. I felt intense sympathy for the Mormons out there who I don't believe are saved, even though they're some wonderful, good people to, you know, if you know a Mormon, you know how great they are. And yet their, their take on Jesus is so just wrong enough that it, that it's wrong. And I, and so I, I, I have filled sympathy for them. I worry for them. Um, when I studied up on Muslims, what their theology teaches, you know, they believe the Bible to an extent, 
But then they introduced this stuff from the Quran and, um, and, you know, I feel sympathy for them. They, they grow, uh, most of them grow up in a Muslim majority country. They almost have no chance to, to learn what's right as opposed to what the Quran teaches. And so I felt sympathy for them. Whenever I studied Catholicism, I felt kind of enraged, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, <laughs> because I feel like there's really no excuse for the deception that Catholics live in. Again, I'm sorry if you're Catholic and you're listening, but there is so much rampant deception in that whole movement. But yet we all read the same Bible. You know, it's like Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible. Muslims have their own biblical type of books. Mormons have the, or Muslims have their own Bible. But but with when it comes to Catholics, we all read the same Bible. So I'm like, why are they going so far off the rails you know, lots of denominations in, in Protestantism, they they have slightly different takes on some things, but we're all still brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not like major differences almost all the time. But then you go into Catholicism and it's like they read the exact same Bible, the exact same words that we do. But they just they just go off into outer space with it. I don't I don't understand how they get so far off, the, except for the fact that. That's what I'd say to Muslims, or I mean, sorry, to, to Catholics out there. Read your Bible. I want you to read your Bible. Look at what it says. There's so many doctrines that Catholics teach that are just not in the Bible. If you would just look for yourself, you're not going to find it. Infant baptism, that is not in the Bible. Praying to Mary is not in the Bible. That's a major thing in Catholicism. You know, and they they have the beads. They pray the rosary. You don't find that in the Bible. You don't find baptism by sprinkling in the Bible. You don't find purgatory in the Bible. So back to what Michael said, he said, read up on what the Catholic church teaches. You can't go wrong. I'm like, <laughs> it's hard for me to know where they go. Right. So Michael, uh, and I invite you to respond, Michael, if you know, if you, if you want to give specific reasons that I am misunderstanding the Bible, go right ahead. You know, we'll talk about, I will talk about it with you. I don't mind. But, um, but your statement was honestly, it was just too broad. Like, I guess it was in reference to the rapture theology that that me and Daniel were talking about on that program. And it's just it's hard for me to accept a statement as broad as when someone just says, read up on what the Catholic Church teaches. I mean, I've done that. Um, and and I just I don't see where they go right, you know, to be perfectly frank. So, Michael, my my allegiance is to the Bible before any denomination or institution and I hope you would say that as well. If you're Catholic, read what your Bible says. Respond back if you got if you got further comments on this subject, and I'll try to dialogue with you. But um, again, that what your 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 comment, your mailbag there, it was just too broad for me to go into more detail than that. <laughs> so there, there you go. That's my opinion on the whole Catholic Church movement. Let's close down on what today's lesson was. Um, recently, I was reading the Book of Ruth, and. Uh, a lot of people out there are probably familiar with Ruth, uh, the, the the story in that book. It starts it starts off talking about Naomi and Ruth, and they're having a really hard time. Both their husbands died. I think Naomi's sons had died, and one of them was Ruth's husband. And so they're just in, and these are two women, and this is a time when women had no options for taking care of themselves. If your husband died, your future didn't look great. And so, I, and and again. Maybe your sons could take care of you if you had children, but Naomi's sons have died. So these two women are all on their own. It's almost like a Job story. You know, they're just completely despondent. And then it says this in Ruth 1, verses 20 and 21. 
Naomi says this in this in that section early on in the book. She says, "Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty." So Naomi says right there, "I don't want to be called Naomi anymore." She says, "Call me Mara because Mara is a word that means bitter." Um, I don't remember what Naomi means if it has a meaning, but she doesn't want to be called that anymore. She wants to be called bitter because she feels like my life is over. There's nothing left for me here. I'm going to spend the rest of my life unhappy. Just call me Mara. Call me bitter because what what went on before that was as good as it was ever going to get. And it's all downhill from here. So that's what she says. She wants her, her. She doesn't want to be called Naomi anymore. She wants her new name to be Mara. And then here's what it says in the very next verse. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her. <laughs> so the very next verse, right right before that, she's like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The very next verse, the Bible says, so Naomi returned. And I, I'm like, wait a minute. She just tried to change her name. And then it just immediately gets dropped. <laughs> like the Bible in the next verse just goes back to calling her Naomi. She says, my name is Mara now. I want to be known as as Mara from now on. One verse later, God is like, nope, I want to call you Naomi. I don't think the book ever calls her Mara once. Uh, it doesn't come up after that. And and as I read that, I, I mean, I know it's a sad story and everything, but I, I actually just, I was just reading that in the morning and I just laughed because I'm like, yeah, God, God doesn't care what we want to call ourselves. He's going to call us what we are. God calls us what we what he calls us. He calls us what we are. And God doesn't want Naomi to be bitter forever and ever. God wants Naomi to be Naomi. God doesn't care what we say about ourselves. God has an opinion about each one of us. And so it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. And it doesn't even matter what you say about you. You are who God says you are. And I am who God says I am. And God says, I am a saint. So if we're saints, maybe we ought to believe that. And maybe we ought to act like it. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that you must be a saint or a Christian you ain't.